guys. Welcome to Hillside. Thanks for coming. And if you showed up online, hello, and thank you for showing up. <laughs> uh, let's stand and worship today.
find just the voices. You are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. Awesome. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hillside Community Church. My name is Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to see you all here. We got quite a crowd here. Um, we do have some overflow seating next door. So if it gets a little too close in here for you, we've got overflow seating in the coffee shop and the service is running on the projection screen in there. So feel free to move over there if you would like to, if you'd be more comfortable. Um, got a couple of announcements for you this morning. So uh, Jennifer, Jennifer, there she is. Come on up. Jennifer is going to uh, talk to us about some uh, Salvation Army goings on. So Jennifer Wilson. Hello. Um, I represent Hillside on the Golden Salvation Army Extension Unit. And so that unit is made up of um, members of the Together Church of Golden and the Kiwanis Church of Golden. And uh, every year... This is the 11th year. We have a Target back-to-school shopping spree for kids that are in need, um, mostly from the elementary schools in Golden. And so that is going to happen on August 10th, the morning of August 10th. Um, I am trying to raise donations for that if you're interested in supporting that. Um, the kids are given a $100 gift card to shop at Target. It used to be $75, but wasn't going quite as far this year, so it's $100 this year. Um, the kids shop for new clothes and shoes, and then when they're finished shopping, they get a backpack of school supplies that's donated by the Salvation Army. So you don't have to sponsor a child fully. Um, anything is great, and we'll just put everything together from Hillside. You can also um, donate separately and send a check. There's an address out there, and you can also contact me um, for that address if you want to just sponsor a child separately and then on that morning we're also asking for volunteer chaperones and if you're a chaperone you would just help the students shop um, the kids have a wish list of things that they would like and the chaperone just tries to help them sort of find those items and direct them to places where they could get the most for their for their money so that's at 8.30 and 9.30 in the morning on August 10th, if you're interested in that. Um, we are definitely in need of chaperones, and it's a lot of fun. So, thanks. Thank you, Jennifer. That's re it's really exciting that kids are going to be back in school this fall. And surprisingly, we do have a lot of needy kids in the Golden Area that need this kind of help. So please consider at least donating to that cause and helping out as a chaperone if your heart leads you in that direction. Um, another thing that's going to be starting back up in the fall is our life groups, kind of our small group ministry here. And I know we've got a lot of new faces in the church over the last few months. So if you are interested in joining a life group, which is a great way to get connected in the community, in, into our church, and really get to know people on, on, a, on a deeper basis, uh, we encourage you to sign up on the website. There's information in the weekly email that comes out if you get that. If not, just go to hc3.org or hillsidecommunity.org, either one of those works, and uh, go to the Life Group page, and I think it's under Ministries, if I'm not mistaken, and you can fill out a little form there that says you're interested. It's not obligating you to anything, but that'll go to Donovan and others, and, and basically we'll start lining people up with groups uh, for the fall. And then lastly, I want to mention our kind of adopt, the plot pro adopt a plot program out in the parking lot. We've got a lot of land here. We're trying to keep it as nice as possible. Um, we do work days occasionally, but it's also helpful to have people adopt a little section like a parking lot island or a section along the fence. And you'll see blue landscaping flags out in the parking lot. We would just encourage you, if you're willing to do something like that, they're usually about less than 100 square feet. 
And uh, you just take that flag to claim it, basically. And if there's no flag, then somebody's already claimed that spot. But yeah, you take the flag and then you just keep up with that plot for, you know, every couple of weeks, come out and weed it or whatever, just keep it looking nice. Uh, so we would appreciate your help on that. Also today, as we go to prayer, we are going to be praying over our offering. This is something we haven't done formally for probably since the pandemic began. It's, it's been amazing to see the generosity of the church and the consistency of giving from this church. Um, but offering our offering and our tithe is, is a really significant part of our ministry and our discipleship as believers. You know, giving to the church, supporting the church, supporting the work of the kingdom. So we just want to encourage you. Um, we have a basket in back. If you would like to give you know, actual tangibly, you know, a check or, or a cash, feel free to put it in the back, uh, either during the service or as you go out. But we also have ways that you can give online. Through the Bible app and through the website, there are several ways that you can give online. So we just want to encourage you to continue that. I mean, that is a, a, an important part of our Christian journey. Um, and then also I want to mention giving for Nicaragua. Nicaragua giving, it's, we have a ministry down in Nicaragua, for those of you that aren't aware, we have a, a school and a staff down there, and we have a certain budget per month that we uh, send down there to help them. That giving has been down a little bit over the last, probably really since the beginning of the year, so we want to encourage you to get involved in that. If you've got questions about the Nicaragua ministry, talk to Donovan, talk to Mike or Katie, talk to any of the leaders, and we can give you some more information about that ministry. Um, but yeah, if you want to give to Nicaragua specifically, just designate that um, with your gift. Okay? Let's pray together, and then we will go into our time of teaching. Father God, uh, we are just so thankful to you. You are the way maker. You are the one that brings peace into our lives. You are our provider. You are the one who gives us grace and mercy. You are the sovereign God. And we just come before you today, Lord, just thankful to be together as a church, thankful that things are returning to normal, but we still pray for protection, Lord. We pray for your blessings, your protection upon this congregation. And Lord, we know we can seek refuge under your wings. Thank you for this time this morning, Lord, as we go to your word and, and do, do another ser a sermon on apologetics. We just pray that you would help us to absorb this information, to take it in, to learn it. And if we ever have the opportunity to share it, Lord, that we would do so with gentleness and respect, that we would always represent you well, that we would be ambassadors of your, of your message, of your truth, of your kingdom. And we pray, Heavenly Father, over our offering, whether it's virtual or physical, Lord, we know that you are our provider, but you provide through us to the church, and I just thank you for the faithfulness of our body over the last 19 months with this pandemic. And just pray that you would continue to provide for us, and Lord, that you would direct us in how we use those funds, and guide us, Lord, as we seek to fulfill your mission here on earth. And Holy Spirit, we just invite you to be with us this morning to teach us, to guide us, and to draw us together in unity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to echo what Sean is saying. Uh, one of the verses that we were looking at closely is 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an account of the hope that you have when people ask, but do it with gentleness and respect. Today we're hopping back into how do we answer these tough questions, the questions that people come to us with that they really want to know about. Now, we can have the tendency to answer them in a, well, it's because, and get frustrated and get defensive and start being mad about people not believing and understanding this world the way that you do. Or we can have gentleness and we can have respect, recognizing that that is part of our role is to bring forth truth. People don't know it sometimes. There was a large season of my life that I didn't know it. And part of what we're talking about here, my question at one point was I didn't know if Jesus was the only way. The world and my life and my history and my experiences said there could have been different ways. But today as we answer this question, it's easy for me to say yes. Like I could just get up here and say, is Jesus the only way? Yeah, and walk off, right? That, that would be nice, but I want you, as well as me, to continue on the journey of understanding and having confidence in a structured and organized kind of way to help people understand what does it look like to get to the point that we understand, articulate, and can share very clearly that Jesus is the only way. 
So what do these three things have in common? What do you think? Not, not a lot. There's numbers. There's different dots and security codes. Exactly. So right now in our society, on my phone, it recognizes my face, my fingerprint, or my code. Can you get into my phone without any of those three things? Well, definitely not if you have an Apple, but an Android, you could probably hack it and stuff. But um, I'm kidding. Kidding. But generally speaking, you will not be able to access my phone. There is one way into my phone. My bank account, again. Can you access my bank account without my PIN number or my password? Unique to me. You can't. And the most terrifying one of all, I still wake up with dreams about this, is not being able to unlock my high school locker. <laughs> there is one specific combination for this, and I still dream about it, and I've got tests due, and, and I just can't remember the code. There's one code that opened my high school locker, and it still terrifies me. Now, bear in mind, too, that there are people that are constantly trying to hack all three of these things. People who are trying to get into your phone, trying to steal your identity, trying to come about it in a theftful kind of way. They're trying to steal your passcode. They're trying to find a way in and around. They might even be showing up with lock cutters, just, I'm just going to cut this thing off because I want to gain access. To be clear, there is no hacking salvation. There are no, no bolt cutters that will get you into heaven. Jesus says this in John 10:1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the shepherd fold by the door, but climbs in another way, hacks it in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. This is Jesus speaking. I am the door of the sheep. All who have come before me, they are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, Jesus says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly because I am the good shepherd. See, Jesus makes it clear already. There is a way to heaven. He is the one that has created the pasture for the sheep. He has also created the doorway in. He is the keeper of that. The sheep hear his voice and his voice alone. But ever since the start of time, people have tried to create different ways in. They've tried to create different sheep's pins to, hey, come and check out mine. Come and be a part of what we're doing over here. And Jesus says, no, that is a theftful way of looking at salvation. So from that, I think come a lot of questions. Where do we go when we die? Does our belief system really impact anything about our life today? Like, do the things that we believe really matter today in the ways that we make decisions? Why do we even need Jesus? I mean, why? What's the point? People ask that. I think if you were to go out and ask most of the population, how do you get into heaven, their answer would be pretty simple. You live a good life and you're a good person. The only unfortunate thing is that there's going to be a lot of good people who don't go to heaven. And that's hard to accept at times. But there is only one way to heaven, and being good is not the way. Living a good life is not the way. So there are byproducts of being a Christian, and I hope that you as Christians are good people and live good lives, but that again is not the entry, it's not the access code, it's not the combination to heaven. And from these questions, I think we see a lot of arguments against Christianity. Some of the common ones are this. You're so narrow-minded. Do you really think you are the ones that figured it all out? Do you really think that you've got the only answer? I can't believe that you would be so narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the only way. Common argument, right? So you've got to be prepared. How do we answer such things? We've got to understand in that narrow-mindedness, either everybody has to be wrong, or someone has to be right because everybody cannot be right. So someone has to be right or everybody's wrong because everybody can't be right. Does that make sense? So as you're going through this, who's right? Another argument is I just 
Christianity feels like this exclusive club. It feels kind of icky. Like you, you, you've got to be part of this club and you've got to go through this initiation or something. And people kind of reject it because they feel like it's a little bit alienating and it judges people in an inappropriate way. Well, let me be very clear. All religions have a claim of exclusivity. Like there is an exclusive part of every religion that says you've got to do these things to be part of our club. Like there is an initiation to be part of our club. There are no religions out there right now that I could find that didn't have some kind of dynamic that says to be part of who we are, you have to do these things. Now, the unique part about Christianity is it says just come and be part of our family. And by being part of our family, you will start to do things differently. In order to get into the, the club of Christianity, you don't have to do certain things. There is not an initiation of, okay, well, you've now accomplished X, Y, and Z, and you've prayed properly and done this, so now welcome to the club. No, the club is open for everybody. We, Jesus, has made his availability to the entire globe, to everyone, and everyone can join. The entry pass, the initiation, the structure has never changed. If you look around at all these other clubs or religions, they tend to change here and there. They tend to modify based upon times. Nothing has changed. All are welcome and all come through the same path that Jesus declared thousands of years ago. Some would also say, we're talking all about the same thing. So one of the arguments, again, is that people say, well, Everybody has a piece of truth. Like everybody's explaining something that they're all seeing just one semblance of it. The illustration is that of, a, of an elephant. And so picture this. We've got four blind individuals and they're placed by an elephant. Now, what they're saying is that there is one way to heaven and we all just have a different understanding of it. The argument is, well, they just get a little piece of it and they get a little piece of it. So the guy at the tail is feeling the elephant and he's describing what it is by, it's a little hairy, it's kind of rough. But the individual on the ear is explaining like, it's kind of soft. And so the guy on the trunk, I don't know, what does a trunk feel like? <laughs> Who's ever felt a trunk? Scruffy and I don't know. But now they get down and they start to explain the different components of the elephant. First, there was a real elephant or real truth to be grasped, yet everyone got it wrong. Second. Knowing just a part of something is not the same as knowing the bigger picture. Their reality was truth to be grasped. Like they, there was a truth to be grasped, a real live elephant, but all of these individuals missed out on that fact. See, Christian theism claims that there is only one God, personal and distinct, separate from his creation. Pantheism, found in forms of Hinduism, for instance, claims that everything is part of an impersonal divine God. Now, atheists claim there's no God at all. Are these three worldviews really describing different parts of the same thing, since they flat out contradict each other? A claim that they are being described differently in all the aspects actually makes no sense. After all, God cannot both exist and not exist. So if they're describing different things about this salvation process, you can't say that, well, God exists and God doesn't exist. They're describing something completely different. And you can't say that God doesn't exist in all things, but in the Hindu, he exists in all things. They are completely different. So in that, we realize that the formula that people are trying to define a way into heaven is misconstrued. It's misunderstood. When you look at it, I think the world is kind of doing a little reverse engineering. They're saying, we want to get to heaven. But here's the formula that we're creating to get to heaven. They're saying, well, we're going to make things based upon our religion that brings us pleasure. We're going to be tolerant of the people around us because that seems nice. We want everyone to be happy, don't we? Like, it, it, it seems like even in our American structure, the Bill of Rights says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So what's wrong with happiness? Well, I don't know that happiness is part of the formula or the equation. Good works and kindness is not part of the formula or equation. It is this, that we are sinful and we need Jesus, and Jesus is the only one that brings an atoning sacrifice that allows us access into heaven. Now, I put this up there. Now, mine students coming back, I don't know if this has ever happened to you on one of your tests, 
But the professor said, I don't know how, but you used the wrong formula and got the correct answer. Has that ever happened? It has? <laughs> Is this you? That's hilarious. So I, I laugh at that because I think in life sometimes you can get the right answer for different things. Like sometimes even I can help get the technology going, Sean and Dan, right on. You know, every once in a while, a blind squirrel will find a nut kind of thing. Not in this equation. In the formula that we're looking at as it pertains to, is Jesus the only way? There is no alternative formula. You're not going to get to the gates and say, well, I, I showed up, and he's like, well, I don't know how you got here. You, you came about this in the completely wrong way. That will not happen when we show up in judgment. So for today, the last time I preached, I didn't really use much from Scripture. Today, we will use everything from Scripture. Because the only way to describe our way to heaven is to hear from the source, to hear straight from Jesus and the claims that were made throughout Scripture, pointing the way. Now, people might argue with you at that. Well, you can't use your Bible because everybody has a written text of sorts. But hopefully what you've seen in our course over the last couple of months is that we can use our Bible. It is the most provable, most reliable, and most accurate source that exists. It is immutable and not changeable. We can go back and we can tear it apart. There is more to prove that the Bible is real than any other document of history that's out there. And yet we accept those without question. So we're going to use scripture today. But before we jump into that, I just want to make it clear. How many religions are really out there? There's a lot. Um, this grows every year. There are literally 4,000 different distinct religious groups of kind of separation. Now this is, you could go look at Native American, you could take every Native American tribe and you could say that every one of those Native American tribes has a different form of religious structure. 4,000 different ones out there. So again, what makes yours right? You need to be able to answer that question. Why is Christianity different from all 4,000 other recognized religions? On this side over here, you can see the big ones. You can see Christianity, which includes in this listing, Catholicism, Protestants, all the Baptists. But it also includes Buddhists, Hindus, Islam, and Judaism. There's a big one in there. 1.2 billion people across the world worship secular, non-religious theology. See, in the midst of this, there are a lot of similarities. You can look at some of these, and you can take some of the teachings of Buddha and be like, that makes sense. I mean, that, that sounds wise. It would make sense to treat people that way or to live in a way. So there are similarities, and I'm not saying that they're not, but they are not the same. R.C. Sprouls, who is a theologian, puts it this way. Moses, and I like that he used Moses because it comes out of our scripture. Moses could meditate on the law. Muhammad could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could offer wise sayings, but none of these men were qualified to offer an atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus alone was the only one qualified. So as we look deeper at this, I've decided to pull two apart. I've decided to look specifically at this secular kind of way that we approach our religion, especially in America. The first one is called hedonism. Hedonism is a, a worship of self, more or less. Like, I am being hedonistic and I'm worshiping myself. And the structure of it says this. It says that I am going to make decisions based upon whatever brings me pleasure. Sounds fun, right? Sounds like something that would, would make sense. Like we want to make decisions that bring us pleasure. But it also says that truth is relative to my desire. Truth is changeable to my need. And truth can hurt others without any concern to me. So in the midst of this, when you adopt a hedonistic kind of mindset around religion, I'm telling you this because I think this is also dangerous. It has started to creep into the Christian culture as well. There are many Christians, myself included, that might kind of sway into the hedonistic mindset. Like, I know what Jesus wants me to do, but boy, it would sure be easier for me to make decisions that suit me and bring me pleasure, right? This is how most of the world sees their actions throughout the day. They are making decisions not based upon any other religious structure other than what they think to be best. And that can change every single day. 
Like what works today might not work tomorrow, so it changes, and it doesn't matter how I'm going to hurt Donovan just as long as it makes me pleasurable, just as long as it brings me what I desire. The next one is this, and this is actually sweeping through the Church of America, universalism. All ways lead to God, truth and tolerance, the coexist mindset. Now, the universalist would really like the analogy of the elephant. They say, yeah, 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 that's, that makes sense. We're all explaining the same thing. We're all explaining a way to heaven, but we just have a little bit different taste of it. In a universalist world, they will accept any and all different ideas. As long as you think it's true, they will say, well, that, that's good for you. Let's, let's include that. A worship service at a universalist church could look like playing some John Denver and then having someone from a, a Buddhist faith pray and then having a Muslim pray and they're all in their mind praying to the same place. All ways do not lead toward God. Theological doctrine that says this is actually counterproductive to what they think they're trying to do. To adopt a coexist mindset that says always leads to heaven is probably one of the cruelest and meanest things that you could do to people around you. Because we know the way to heaven. One of the kindest, most gracious and loving things that you could do is say no. There is one way and that way is through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Universalism rejects the teachings of the Bible. They would not let me say these things in their church probably. But yet, that's what exists in the Bible. Jesus has made proclamations very clearly about who he is. So Jesus didn't come to just hang out with people and sinners and be tolerant of their sins, but to call them to repentance. His goal, his goal was and is the gospel. Jesus called people when he met with them, go and sin no more. He's the only way to accomplish reconciliation with God. And I think that that's important. Like, I'm not telling you to go and, and hang out with people and be mean. I'm telling you to hang out with people. Share what you know. Share your experience, your stories. Reveal the truth of Scripture to them. Sit down and love them. Have compassion for them. Don't be mad at them. Why, why would you be mad at someone who's not been filled with the Holy Spirit? Your goal is to love them so that they would understand who Jesus Christ is, and welcome that into their world. A few more questions. Is Jesus Lord? Is he God? Did Jesus live? Did Jesus die? And lastly, was Jesus really raised from the dead? This will identify where you fit in whether or not Jesus is the only way. How do you answer these questions will determine everything about your life. Everything, everything about your understanding. And I want you to, to also have this in mind. Uh, Paul in Romans 1, 16, he says, don't, don't be ashamed of this. For this is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I think sometimes we are confronted with these difficult questions and it's scary. And we're, we're almost ashamed of being, being the ones that come forward and say, no. Jesus is the only way. That's what I believe. Why can everyone else proclaim their belief system so easily without worry about what people think, and yet we as Christians are locked down like, I don't know, I mean, I should share this because it's really important, but I'm afraid. They, they might not like me. They might be angry with me. They might get frustrated. They might judge. They might laugh at me. Paul says, don't be ashamed, guys. This is the power. This is what saves people. So the answer to these, obviously, are yes. And the biggest part of this that Paul says in Corinthians is, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still living in your sins. So the dynamic in this is, if we don't say yes to these things, then the real answer is that if you don't believe that Christ was raised from the dead, then we're still living in our sins. Either way, you have to make a choice about Jesus. You do. And the people around you, we want them to come to a place where they have to make a choice. We've read this a few times, but I'm going to read it again. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis, and he agrees. You've got to make a choice. Either this man, being Jesus, 
was and is the Son of God, or else he was a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit on him, and you can kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He did not leave that open to us. He did never intended to. So even Jesus himself didn't leave you the opportunity. If you are really reading Jesus' words, you're really understanding what Jesus says, he does not leave you the opportunity to not choose him. So if you're really reading it, and you really believe it, and you've answered yes to these questions, and you know that he has been raised from the dead, then the answer is, he is your salvation. So what does Jesus say? I think it's good to look at these things. And Jesus is great. I mean, I, I love even in John where it says, hey, so encouraging. They actually say this to the disciples, Jesus does. Now, you believe, but you struggle. Now imagine the people, us, 2,000 years later. Imagine how hard it's going to be for them. Jesus in 13, 19 says, I'm telling you all this stuff. Like he's, he's telling them about his death and what's going to happen to him. And he says, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, that you'll believe that I am he. Matthew alone lists 68 Old Testament prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' life. This is far beyond the realm of coincidence or make-believe. So let's look specifically at the claims that Jesus has made. So he says, I am the object of faith. I am the word of life. Believing in me will give you access to eternal life. I am the gate of the sheep and I am the life. I am the resurrection, both his and yours. Nobody else can claim these things. Nobody else has even tried. And our main verse for today, John 14, 6, and this is Jesus. He says this, I am the way. So that's where you can stop. Like, he's proclaimed it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody will come to the Father except through me. And so if we believe Jesus to be who he says he is, we have to make the choice, just like C.S. Lewis says. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, these are his claims. The difficulty is some people, like, take the Muslim religion in Islam and the Quran. They list Jesus as a prophet. Like they, they put him in there as like, he's a prophet of our religion. And yet Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Do you see the disconnect with what Islam is saying and what Jesus is saying? You can't put Jesus in there and say, he's a prophet. We are going to believe and now believe everything he says. And yet he says, this is not the way. I am the way. So he in himself is already disqualifying other areas of religion. Isaiah 35.8 says this. This is way back. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over. Unclean being those that are still in their sin, those that haven't been forgiven of their sins through Jesus Christ. They will not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk in in the way, being Jesus saying, I am the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I think he's speaking to me in that particular verse. Because I think sometimes it just gets wonky, right? You're walking down the road, but fortunately, as you look at this path, it's clear. It's pretty hard even for a guy like me to get off of that path. And so the joy in this is, even in Isaiah, it's proclaiming the prophecy about the way. We're looking for the way. And Jesus says, I am the way. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. We're going to look at two verses right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I like this because Jesus has basically given everything that you need to know. He's st he stood in for before all of his people and said, here is my sermon. Here's what you need to know. And he ends it with a, a few very important specifics. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate that is wide and the way that is easy leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are unfortunately few. So as he, as he concludes this, he says there's going to be a lot of ways out there. A lot of ways that are going to be easy because you're going to d design them based upon what brings you pleasure. The way to follow Jesus is sometimes hard, is it not? I mean, it really is. 
You've got to be confronted with your sins. You've got to be cognizant about the way that you live and you interact and you treat people. It's not an easy path. Sometimes it would make sense just to say, ah, why? It's a hard path sometimes. But finding it is essential. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, on that day is the, the point when Jesus returns. And he's, he's coming back. So this is important for us. Why would we share this stuff? For this reason. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now this is interesting. So, did Jesus know them? I mean, Jesus is omniscient, right? He knows everything and he knows everyone. So that's not what it's talking about. He knows every person that's ever existed and ever will exist. He knows us. But what this is talking about is knowing. To be known and to know God in an intimate and deep relationship. So what Jesus is saying right here, I, didn't, I knew who you were, but I didn't know you. I didn't know anything about you personally. You didn't follow me. I was not your Lord. You did all these things, but you never accepted me as Lord and Savior. Because again, getting into heaven is not about doing things. It's about falling into relationship with our Savior. To know and be known by God. So our main verse, 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one who comes to the Father but except through me. And he says this, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And he says, from now on you do know me, because you have seen him. And so the unique part about this is he's telling him, his disciples, he's like, okay, now you know me. That was a good tumble. <laughs> right back off the back. A little flip. Sorry. <laughs> so he's talking to him, and he's telling him, I gotta recover in myself on that one. <laughs> oh boy. He's telling them because you now trust that I am the way. You are now seeing me. You are now in relationship with me. You are now in relationship with our, our God and Father in heaven. So you know me. You know me, not just know of me, but you know me intimately. But there is a price to this, and this is what happens if we don't fall in line with knowing people. Scripture is also very clear about what people will be from God's perspective. 1 John says this, the one who continues to practice sin, separating himself from God, not, not accepting that Jesus is the way, and offending him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion is of the devil and takes his inner character and moral value from him, not from God. James 4 it says, you adulterous people. Adulterous being that you're worshiping everything other than Jesus. Adulterous means that you are worshiping yourself and your pleasures or some other religious construct. Adulterous is you're just not trusting that Jesus is the way. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself to actually be an enemy of God. And so... These are the separations that we've got to be aware of when we interact with people. This is serious business. It's not just simply enough to say, ah, I'm not going there. We've got to know that the way God, Scripture, sees people. Does God love everybody? I mean, that's one of those tough questions, right? Well, he loves us as far as his creation is concerned, but he loves me as a child. Like, he knows me. I am part of his family. He does love the things that he has created, but there is a very different place between being seen as an enemy of God and following the character of the devil. Lee Strobel says this, the uniqueness of Christianity is rooted in the uniqueness of Jesus himself. All other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you how to find truth. But Jesus says, I am the truth. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you the way to salvation. But Jesus says, I am the way to eternal life. Other religious leaders say, follow me and I will show you how you can become enlightened. But Jesus says, I am the light 
of the world. Do you see the difference? It's a big difference. There are drastic and irreconcilable differences between Christianity and all other belief systems. Every other religion is based on people doing things through their struggle and through their striving to earn God's favor. They say people have to use a Tibetan prayer, prayer wheel, or they have to go on a pilgrimage, or they have to give alms to the poor, or they have to avoid eating certain foods, or they have to perform a certain number of specific good deeds, or they have to pray in a certain way, or they have to go into a cycle of reincarnation. These are attempts to reach out to God. But Jesus Christ is God reaching out to us. Through Jesus, the opposite of what those faiths teach. He said that nobody can do anything to merit heaven. So you might as well stop trying. He said that you were all guilty of doing wrong. That is consistent with my experience and probably yours. We know that not a single person here today would claim to be perfect. So the difference between Christianity and everyone else is real. It's drastic and it's irreconcilable. We know there is for one God, one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. Acts 4, there is only one salvation and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men to which we can be saved. See, this is the understanding and being able, one, to know what the problems are that we face when we interact with the world around us, to know what people might be thinking before we start speaking, to know how they've structured maybe their religious views, not to get mad at them, but to graciously lead them into an understanding of truth that comes from the proclamations of Jesus and his scripture. So nothing that I've said today is my own created opinions. These are just the things that Jesus has said, that the Bible and scripture has proclaimed. So as we come back to this, is Jesus the only way? I want you guys in your hearts to figure out how would you answer that tonight if someone asked you? Could you? I would hope that you could. And it's okay to stumble through it. I'll send you the slides if you want. <laughs> Give shows, whatever, but I stumble through this too. But the key in it is, can we answer that question with a definitive yes? Yes, he is. So that we can avoid continuing to be stumbled up to be moved away and dig deeper into why is he that? Know it in such a way that changes everything about what you do. Did I just put the Apple TV up there? <laughs> Sorry, I go a little far. So as we pray and we conclude today, um, that's the gist, that's your application. Uh, that's the, the thought that I want you leaving here with today. Do I really believe this? And if I do, am I capable of communicating it? If I'm not capable of communicating it, then how do I become more prepared to answer these questions? And if you answer no to any of these things, if you're here today or you're online, I want you to figure out a way to pray to God to reveal himself and this truth to you. Or talk to me. Talk to one of the other pastors in this church. And we want to walk through this with you so that you understand clearly what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you were so gracious and clear, that you didn't keep this truth hidden from us, that you have shared it, you have told us exactly the combination for the locker. There's no stress around it. We don't need to worry about it. You've made it clear. Thank you that you are the way. Thank you that you are our good shepherd and that we will continue to listen to you and trust you as we move through this life. And as we answer these difficult questions, Father, I pray that you would give everyone here courage to speak, to speak truth. This world is continuing to press in on us at all sides, encouraging us to be silent. I encourage us to speak, to be spokespersons of what we know to be true, because the consequences are eternal. I pray these things in your name. Amen.
Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the blood of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness Sent by the ones He came to save Till on that cross as Jesus died The wrath of God was satisfied For every sin on Him was laid Here in the death of Christ body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me. Precious blood of Christ No guilt in life No fear in death This is the power of Christ in me From love's first cry To final breath Jesus commands my destiny power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I stand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ we stand you were the word at the Your love is greater 
sing this last one together.
right with that. Have a great week, guys.